Hey friends, welcome back to the old fashioned on purpose podcast. So I had some things move around with my recording schedule. So I had an opening and I decided to do another solo episode um, because this is a topic today that I have been kind of nerding out over lately. uh, And I wanted to share it with you. The topic is whole wheat flowers and more specifically how I kind of came full circle back. I think I kind of started my journey with whole wheat. I left it for quite a while and now I'm coming back to it. So I'm super excited to talk through this with you today. Also, as I describe my passion for whole wheat flowers, I realized that maybe this is why I don't have a lot of non-homesteading friends because when they ask me, hey Jill, what are you into lately? I say things like soil microbes or whole wheat flour. And that just sounds weird to the uninitiated. So I don't know. You guys get it. So that's all that matters. But I'm excited for today. Before we get into this, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Toops & Co. So, you know, a big part of this podcast is looking at old-fashioned ways and seeing how they make sense for our modern lives. And I think a really cool place we can apply that concept is actually with our skincare. And for many, many years, I had a very full skincare drawer in my bathroom where I had all sorts of fancy products. You know, I had stuff for under eyes and serums and wrinkle creams and um, eye things and all sorts of stuff. And I have since gotten rid of all of that in favor of a single product, and that is beef tallow balm um, that I get from Tubes and Co. And I love that it is so simple. It's so sustainable. My skin glows when I use it. And it is just another example of how when we look past the industrial paradigm and ask ourselves, what would our ancestors have used to moisturize their skin? Or what did people use before the advent of factories and corporations telling them what to buy? Um, life gets a lot simpler. So I am in love with Toops & Co's Balm. For those of you who are worried about the ick factor, there really is none. It smells amazing. The texture is amazing. It's not greasy. It doesn't feel like animal fat. It feels like a high-end skincare product. So if you want to give them a try, they also have makeup and deodorant and lip tints, all kinds of non-toxic, small batch made products uh, from one homestead mama to another. Uh, You can give them a try. I have a code for you. It's homestead for 15% off your order. And you can go take a look and shop around over at the prairiehomestead.com slash makeup. And I'll also drop that in the show notes. Okay. So a little backstory on my whole wheat journey. So I don't think a lot of you know this story. It's kind of funny. Um, I have mentioned before I was raised in a pretty specific religious sect. And I haven't given a lot of information on that because quite frankly, it just gets really messy talking about that sort of thing online. And I haven't been up for all the commentary, but, um, basically if you, if you're familiar with the Duggar family, they have the, that show there, they had a show on TLC. And, um, a lot of people knew they were kind of a part of a certain, uh, belief system. That was the same belief system that I grew up in. Um, it's called the ATI or IP the Institute of Basic Life Principles, IBLP. I have a hard time remembering the acronyms. Um, But it was this system created by a man named Bill Gothard. If you want to do a very deep rabbit hole internet dive, go Google that. Fascinating. You'll also start to understand why I am so 
passionate about asking questions and thinking for yourself after you understand where I came from. But anyway, long story short, Bill Gothard and his curriculum played a very big part of the 1990s homeschool movement. So the 1990s homeschool movement is a very specific <laughs> time in history. Also, maybe Google that for some examples of what that was like. Um, denim jumpers were a thing. Um, there was a lot of culture wars going on. And another big part, at least for our group of people, was whole wheat bread. Uh, and I don't know if that was a Bill Gothard thing or that was a homeschool movement thing or maybe all of the above. But in our church, all the women made whole wheat bread religiously, um, no pun intended. And my mom, even though she is a self-proclaimed not a huge fan of cooking, she very diligently and consistently made whole wheat bread. And so she had her own grain mill. It was a kind that would like literally blow out your eardrums if she grounded in the house. It was so loud. And then all the women had Bosch mixers. That was a total thing. Everyone had to have a Bosch. So she would grind her, her hard red winter wheat straight up, throw it in her Bosch with some yeast and make her bread. And so I grew up on whole wheat sandwich bread, whole wheat pizza crust, whole wheat cinnamon rolls. I'm, I'm talking 100% whole wheat. Now, um, I, I'm saying this because my mom and I have talked about it since and we both laugh. I so admire her consistency in making bread for our family, but we all agree that it was not the greatest because if you've ever played with whole wheat flours, you know that taking freshly ground 100% whole wheat flour and then trying to make bread with commercial yeast, it's rough, man. It's, it's dry. It's dense. It's crumbly. Um, but to her credit, she persevered. And so for most of my childhood, like every peanut butter and jelly sandwich was on like a two inch slab of 100% whole wheat bread. And all our pizza crust was on dry, crumbly whole wheat crust. And needless to say, uh, I didn't have a great opinion of whole wheat as a young adult. And so when I moved out and I started buying my own bread, I'm like, enough of that. We are going and getting palatable sandwich bread. And I bought sandwich bread happily for years and swore I'd never go back until I started getting into homesteading. Um, now, when I got into homesteading, it was 2009, 2010. And I came into this world, well, I started with Whole Foods, right? I, I was either pregnant with our first child or knew I would be pregnant. So I started examining what we're eating and got into these blogs. And all these women on these blogs were talking about these ingredients I'd never heard of before. And it was super exciting. And they, of course, were not a fan of white flour. And so they were recommending that people use whole wheat flour. Um, but they were advocating for different techniques. So if you remember this period of the internet, um, it was all about soaking grains. Do you guys remember that? Uh, soaking grains, souring grains, sprouting grains, the whole nine yards. And that idea was championed by uh, a guy. Well, it wasn't championed by a guy because he, he's dead, but it was championed by a foundation called the Weston A. Price Foundation, which follows the teachings of a guy, the guy named Weston Price. And so I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with them. They're still around today. Um, but the whole the whole thought process behind that was this man, Weston Price, was a doctor and he did a bunch of research on different cultures around the world and examined their dental records and their jaw growth and figured out which ones were, were healthy and which weren't and why they were healthy. And so he came out of that advocating for a lot of good fats, which I absolutely agree with, and ancestral diets. And a big part of his mindset was that uh, the way we eat grains as a modern culture is damaging to our health because 
whole grains contain anti-nutrients because the very nature of a grain is that it's a seed. And the purpose of a seed is that it needs to survive to get back into the ground and grow again. And so it has to either pass through an animal's digestive tract or handle the harshness of climates in order to survive that process. And so plants have these uh, anti-nutrients. I think there's other names for them. I'm giving you the not super scientific rundown of this. There's a lot of information online if you want to do more research. Um, but his, his thought was when we ingest these anti-nutrients, they tie up, they kind of bind up vitamins and minerals in our body and it can cause us to have health issues. So he recommended that if you're going to eat whole wheat grains, um, cause they're still superior to kind of the dead stripped modern white flowers. He's like, you need to treat them like, um, ancient cultures would. And ancient cultures would have fermented their grains because they didn't have commercial baker's yeast. They would have used sourdough or they would have soaked them in liquid or acid or water, or they would have um, sprouted the grains. And so he championed for those methods. And then I think not too long before I got into homesteading, a woman named Sally Fallon, who's super well-known in the movement as well, she created the very famous nourishing tradition nourishing traditions cookbook, which showed you how to do all these techniques. So I got my copy of nourishing traditions, like all the other mom bloggers, and we were trucking along and I had some success with that. But again, I started running into issues. And as I would grind my grains, cause I got a, a grain mill and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm literally following in my mom's footsteps, but in a different way, <laughs> um, I got my grain mill and I would grind my wheat and I would soak it in vinegar or buttermilk or yogurt. And then I, or I would sour it with my sourdough starter and my results were not fantastic. And Christian would probably say that was a very harrowing time in his dietary journey because he would come home from work and I'd be like, look, I made bread today. And you know, these loaves were like two inches tall because they weren't rising and they tasted like super sour, like offensively sour or really tangy. And the texture wasn't good and you couldn't cut them because they just kind of would crumble. And so after a number of attempts, I gave it a good old try. <clears throat> we both determined that maybe that wasn't the path we wanted to take with our bread. I put away my grain mill for a time and stopped trying to force myself into whole wheat flours and used organic, unbleached, all-purpose flour. Now, if you have my cookbook or you've uh, got my cooking course in the past, you know, that I primarily focused on unbleached organic white flour and I still use it sometimes. Um, I still think it's the best place to start if you are learning how to make bread or baked goods for the first time. It is most consistent. It is easiest to use and it will give you the most, uh, most consistent again, I'm using that word twice, but it will give you the most consistent result with your yeasts, right? You don't have to wonder and hope and pray that it's going to rise. Usually you can dial it in and you'll get the same results every time. It makes it really appealing and it's more palatable, right? So I would get 50 pound bags of unbleached flour from Azure Standard. And I use that for my sourdoughs and all of my baked goods and my sandwich breads. And I got into a routine. Everything was good. Pretty much could make any bread I want to make, whether it's cinnamon rolls, pizza dough, tortillas, biscuits, rolls, English muffins, got it down to a science. Well, here's the problem with personalities like mine. When we get things figured out, we get bored. And so here I was pretty much mas have mastered, I use that term loosely, but you know what I mean? I pretty much mastered the art of 
baking with sourdough and baking with white flour. And I started to go, man, I need, I need another challenge, right? Um, I'm in that place in my homestead journey where I want to go beyond the basics. I want to get into level 102 and 103. And I, I kind of, you know, I have got, had a lot of other things going on. So it wasn't like my primary purpose in life, but I just had that idea simmering under the surface. And lo and behold, I had um, Dr. Caitlin and then Sarah Wood on the podcast, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. I can't remember when I had them on. It was fairly recently. You guys probably remember that episode. And they told me all about how Sarah is growing heritage grains, ancient grains, and really sustainably grown grains up in Wyoming, about five hours or so away from me. And it kind of piqued my interest because I hadn't thought of grains as being something that could be a local food for me. Now we have wheat farmers um, in our area. Some are conventional. I have, I have one friend who grows organic wheat, or I guess they did. They sold their farm. So I knew I could get those options. But again, those were you know, winter wheats that were hard to use. And so I had, had gotten a couple buckets from them in the past and just kind of stuck it on the back burner. But hearing um, Caitlin and Sarah talk about how Sarah's growing einkorn and emmer and spelt and she's using cover crops and no-till and her soil is is thriving. I'm like, I want to use those. And how cool would it be if I could somehow play my cards right and all of our baked goods could be Wyoming flour. So I wouldn't be having to ship in flour from many states away. So that kind of planted the seed, if you will, of... I have to get better at baking in order to figure out how to use these grains effectively, you know, and, and have good results when I use them because it's not worth my time to keep making whole wheat breads and, and things that are inedible. So that kind of was simmering in the back burner. And then I read this book, I'm holding it up. If you're watching the video, if not, you'll have to go look at the show notes. I'll have a list of the books I'm going to mention today. It's what your food ate by David Montgomery and Anne Bickley. I probably am saying her last name wrong. This book is so good. If you liked Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, you will love this book. It's a little more science-y. And the funny thing about it is I had an understanding of the topics they cover, basically um, why it's important to grow food in good soil, why conventional farming methods are damaging, um, why glyphosate is not good for the earth or worms excuse me, or soil or um, nutrients and plants. I, I was aware of all those things and I understood those things, but they dug into it in a way that I hadn't heard before, at least not in that depth. And it kind of reignited my excitement for those ideas. And it really cemented this idea that I want to be ensuring that I'm using good methods on my homestead as I grow food, but also that I'm supporting others who are using methods that are helping the soil instead of hurting the soil. And also when we look at applying glyphosate and putting all these chemicals and continuing to till, we're really depleting the nutrients. And I'd heard people say that, but I'm like, okay, but how do we know? Well, in this book, they tell you how you know. Um, and they have the science behind why those nutrients are less in our produce now than they were um, 100 years ago, right? And so it really laid it out. And so it got me excited all over again. And I knew that this winter would be my winter of the whole flowers, right? We're going whole grain all the way. So I had to find some different resources. And I have a, a, a stack here for you today. So I 
brought out my grain mill, stuck it on my counter once again. I have buckets of hard red and hard white wheat in my basement. And I decided I was going to give this another try. Now, if you recall, this was a while ago, so you might not recall, I had Karen Lynn Newman holding up her book, Sourdough by Science right now. She was on my podcast a year or two ago. And I loved her interview because she gets into the science of sourdough, hence the name of her book, and explains a lot of the inner workings that you might not understand at first. And so one thing I learned from Karen is that the reason whole wheat flours don't rise as well as um, white flour breads is because the bran that's present in whole wheat is it tends to like kind of cut the gluten, right? Gluten is what comes together to give our breads its spring and its rise. And when we have the brand present, it, it, it damages it. So it doesn't rise as happily. So that made sense to me, right? And so I knew there were some techniques. There had to be techniques to work around that, but I wasn't sure how. So enter my next resource. You guys, I have books all over my house right now. It's, it's insane. My my assistant, Michelle, you've met her before on the podcast, uh, sent me this book recommendation, Flower Lab by Adam Leonti. I'm hoping I can get him on the podcast, so stay tuned. And she's like, this is amazing. You've got to get it. And he gets into the science and the techniques um, of baking with freshly milled grains. And as soon as I got this, I was so excited. I added a bunch of um, new whole wheat berries to my Azure order. I got all kinds of varieties, rye and emmer and spelt and <clears throat> decided I was going to give it a try. So what I'm learning through this book, and I literally have like four baking books out of my counter at all times right now, trying all the different recipes. I'm not going to say that I'm an expert at any of them yet, but what I am learning um, is that if we're going to use hundred percent whole wheat flour in our sourdough especially, but any of our baked goods, they really need to have a long fermenting process. And I know one of these books explains the science of why that is. And I don't remember it at the moment. I should have prepared better for this podcast. But in essence, there's something about that long process that helps that gluten to kind of come back and do its thing. And so the breads I've been making lately, are they quite as springy as a loaf made with commercial yeast and 100% all-purpose unbleached flour? No, but they are rising well. And the best part of all, they taste good and they have a soft crumb and they are very much edible. Like my kids are eating them very, very happily. So I'm going to highly recommend you grab a copy of Flower Lab and we'll try to get him on the podcast. Another one that is really good. Also, I don't recommend buying all the books, the bread books at once, because I've kind of done that. And what happens is they contradict each other um, not because one is right and one is wrong, just because there's a ton of different ways to make bread. So um, it can be really confusing as you're laying them all out and trying to compare them and make them all make sense together. They won't necessarily all make sense together, but there's really no right or wrong way. You just find the way that works for you, but maybe don't try all of them at once because it's overwhelming. Anyway, um, the other one I really recommend is Bitman Bread. I think I've talked about this one on the podcast before, and it's a nice hybrid um, between the flower lab and sourdough by science. And the reason I like this one is that they focus on hundred percent whole wheat flours in this book. Um, but they don't take quite the amount of time as the recipes from the flower lab. Now the flower lab are incredible recipes and Adam is a gourmet 
baker like he is top notch um but sometimes like he has several recipes that are 72 hour ferments in the fridge which is cool if you have that many days to plan ahead sometimes i just don't think that far ahead so um bitman bread you most of these are written for you make your jump starter is what they call it the night before then the next morning you add the rest of your ingredients do some folding um do some shaping and then you bake it so I can handle that routine, that routine I am used to. Um, but again, they're using 100% whole wheat flours and the texture of these breads are really good. Like I can eat them with butter. I could make a peanut butter sandwich and not choke on them. So I highly recommend that resource as well. Um, but I've been having a blast with this just because I, uh, it's, it's so fun to cut out the industrial middlemen, right? Instead of having to go and buy white flour that has been run through a factory. And when, and when you start to look at the history of whole wheat flour and how we got away from it and got so hooked on white flour, that's really fascinating too. And I think in flour lab, Adam kind of breaks that down um, and how our milling processes changed. Um, it's just another classic example of when old ways, old fashioned things just make more sense. You know, we we have eaten whole grains traditionally prepared for many, many thousand years. Then we decided that um, if you're upper crust, if you're aristocracy, then you should eat white flour. And so they started sifting flours to get rid of the bran to make the lighter, fluffier flours. And that used to be something that was only for wealthy people because it was such a labor-intensive process. But then at the advent of um, the factory system and having different grain mills become available, then they realized that they could make the white flour attainable for everyone. But of course, as they started to feed the white flour to the masses, because they stripped out all of those pieces, the bran and the germ, uh, they realized that people were getting sick because the white flour was devoid of nutrients. And so that's why you see the flour at the store is enriched white flour because the government mandates that they put, um, synthetic versions of those nutrients back in to make up for what they took out. Even just explaining it is convoluted, don't you think? Yet for some reason in our modern culture, that's the logical, we all think that's logical or we assume that's logical or that it's the only way. So I love, I think my favorite thing lately is looking at what we assume to be normal and stripping it back down to where we started and trying to get back to basics as much as we can. And I think flour is a really good example of that. And it even applies to how the grains are grown. You know, as I've been reading this book, um, What Your Food Ate, and talking to people like Sarah and Caitlin and understanding how important it is um, that we treat our soil as nature intended, right? Nature isn't accustomed to having soil till. That's not part of the natural cycle. Um, it doesn't like to be bare. It needs to have all the fungi and, and all the microbes and the bacteria in there that are breaking down minerals and nutrients and giving them to the plants. Like it's this beautiful process that works so well. Yet we, as our, with our industrial mindsets, rolled in there and said, hey, we can do it better. We're going to till and till some more. And then we're going to have to put a bunch of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides on the soil to handle um, everything being out of balance. But then when we put um, those things on the ground, especially things like glyphosate, then we end up killing off the microbes, which provide the nutrients to the plants. And so our plants have less nutrition. And then we end up being a culture that's 
having metabolic disease and we're overeating because we took out the pieces of our wheat that make us feel full. And we need to add vitamins into our diet because our foods are devoid of those naturally occurring nutrients. So it's just this incredible convoluted path of how we got to where we are in our modern world today. Yet we can go back. It just takes a little bit of thinking outside the box. And the thing I have found as I reach more for old fashioned solutions, whether that is beef tallow for my face or whole wheat flour in my kitchen or more regenerative no-till techniques in my garden is that because we have lost some of those pieces of knowledge, it can feel harder to go back to the old way sometimes. I'm sure you guys have experienced that as you go on your homestead journey. You know, at the end of the day, it's basically easier to use whole wheat flours because they don't need a factory middleman. You don't need a grocery store. You could go buy your whole wheat directly from a farmer. You don't need a factory to process it for you or grind it for you. You can do that at home. But because we've lost that knowledge, we have to work a little harder (laughs) to get back to the basics. But when we do, it's just so amazing to me how everything flows. Um, some of you may have tried whole wheat in the past and had digestive issues. I know that we had some issues with that back in those early days. And what I found is when you let the whole wheat flours sit and ferment, especially for those really long ferments, it starts to make them more digestible and more palatable. Now, that's not to say if you have something like celiac disease, you're probably still not going to be able to have sourdough flours or sorry, sourdough breads. Um, And there's some people who just don't need to have whole wheat regardless, just because of where their bodies are at with um, inflammatory issues and things. But I would say that potentially, if I had to bet, I would say that a lot of our modern American gluten issues or wheat sensitivity issues are derived from the fact that we're treating our flowers like they're an instant food um, when they really are a, should be a slow food, right? They need to be allowed to sit and soak and ferment and almost kind of begin that breakdown. And another piece of that, we t- I talked about this with Sarah and Caitlin on that previous episode, our modern strains of hybrid wheats have a different composition. So I know of many people who can't have modern hybrid wheat, but they can have the more ancient or heritage grains, whether that's um, white Sonora flour or einkorn's a really popular one, or spelt. So when you can combine those heritage grains with a sourdough sort of process or a wild yeast, I think it opens up a whole new horizon for people who might have not been able to have wheat prepared in our standard modern American techniques. So I think there's so much promise here. And I also think it's just really exciting to learn new skills, to um, kind of put myself in beginner mode again. Uh, Been having lots of mess ups. So far, all of them have been salvageable. The good thing about bread is if you mess it up, you just bake it anyway and turn it into breadcrumbs. I did have a dough um, the other night that was so, it was just not coming together. And I did just give it to the chickens. Cause I'm like, this, this will not even bake properly, but it's just, it's fascinating to me how much wiggle room there is with bread. And you can, it's evidenced by the amount of different techniques there are, which reassures me that there's not one right way. And it's pretty hard to mess it up. Now you can mess it up. I mean, I'm living proof of that, but, um, 
what's the saying? There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more, more than one way to bake a loaf of whole wheat bread. So I just wanted to encourage you, if you need a challenge this winter, or you just want to add some better bread into your family's diet and kind of re-examine that part of your kitchen, um, give it a try. Get some of these books. I'll reiterate the list here one more time before we hop off. Oh, the other cool thing I've noticed about bread is when it's made with whole wheat, I tend to eat less because it's that whole food. And because it has, um, all like the brand and everything in it, it's more filling. So whereas I could easily overeat, you know, if I have homemade biscuits made with white flour, right. Um, it's those, those super simple carbs and I just can eat them and eat them and eat them. And it's really hard for my body to know when to stop. When it comes to whole wheat, I can have a piece of whole wheat bread or a whole wheat biscuit. And then my body's like, we're good. I feel full. Um, I have all those pieces I need and it's just, it's just harder to keep going without thinking about it. Um, another piece, maybe this is TMI, I don't know, but whole wheat bread has a lot of fiber. Um, so it keeps everything regular, which is really good, which in our ultra refined carbohydrate standard American diet, fiber can be an issue, right? You see everybody hawking fiber supplements. Well, try some whole wheat bread. You won't need the fiber supplements. Um, yeah, bonus, all the bonuses. So let's I'll give you a quick list of these books one more time, and I'll put them in the show notes. We have What Your Food Ate by David Montgomery. If you just want an overview of um, farming and science, it's awesome. Flower Lab, if you would like to learn how to cook with freshly milled flowers. Sourdough by Science uh, by Karen Lynn Newman. If you want a deeper dive into why sourdough does what it does, a lot of her recipes use white flour as its base, and then it might add in some smaller percentages of whole whole grain flours. So you're not going to get a ton of whole wheat info here, but the rest of the information is awesome. Bitman bread, if you want 100% whole wheat baking, um, that doesn't take a super long time, but still is long enough to let the flour ferment. This is great. He does start his sourdough starter, or I don't think he calls it a sourdough starter. He just calls it a starter. He uses commercial yeast to start it. That's one way to do it. I honestly just have been using his recipes with my own sourdough starter, and it's been working fine. And then lastly, if you want to just get better at sourdough, but you're not quite ready to get into whole wheat, this little book is fantastic. It's Artisan Sourdough Made Simple by Emily Rafa. I've made so many of the recipes in here and she uses primarily, I think most of them are white flour or bread flour, but her techniques are easy. They really turn out well. And she has a ton of different baked good ideas in there. So that's another good one. I just love books. They're my favorite. So anyway, that is my windy full circle story of how I came back to whole wheat bread. I'll keep you posted with how it continues to go. And I hope to get some more um, bread and wheat and flour guests on the podcast in the upcoming months. Um, what else did I want to tell you today? I think that's pretty much it. Oh, if you like these deep dives and these looks into how we can reclaim our old fashioned heritage and kind of rethinking this industrial mindset, come on over and join my newsletter. I'm sending out once a week. I totally revamped it. So it's a lot different than it used to be. Um, it's a lot more conversational and, and it's just a deeper dive into topics, kind of getting outside of just the basics of homesteading and looking at topics that I find interesting that hopefully you find interesting. And it's been really fun. I've been getting good feedback. So it's at theprairiehomestead.com slash letter. You can sign up and I'll send you 
a little blast every Wednesday. So that's what I got for you today, guys. Um, winter's a great time to play with bread. So I figure I'm going to be doing this as much as I can before I start gardening. And then once the garden hits, all bets are off. Probably the, the flour mill will go back into the cabinet for a while, but I'll keep you posted on my progress. And that's all I got for you today. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch up with you on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.